Good evening, everyone. I am Anshula Mehta, Assistant Director at Impact and Policy Research Institute, IMPRI, New Delhi. And I welcome you all to episode 18 of our talk series, The State of Gender Equality, Hashtag Gender Gaps, organized by the Gender Impact Studies Center at IMPRI, along with GenDev Center for Research and Innovation and Delhi Post. Today, we have with us Professor Ritu Devan speaking on the pandemic, policy, and patriarchy the process of gender de-equalization. The chair for today's session is Professor Govind Kelkar, eminent professor, chairperson of the Gender Impact Studies Center at IMPRI and executive director of GenDev Center for Research and Innovation. Thank you, ma'am, for taking out the time to chair the event and to add your insights to the discussion. It is my pleasure to introduce our speaker for today, Professor Ritu Devan, she is the Vice President of the Indian Society of Labor Economics, a visiting professor at the Institute of Human Development, trustee of the India Forum, and president of the Indian Association for Women's Studies from 2014 to 2017. She was, till her retirement, the first ever woman director of the Department of Economics at University of Mumbai, and the founder member of the first center for gender economics in Asia. She has over 150 publications, including 40 books and monographs, encompassing a wide range of issues, including development economics, gender studies and gender economics, rural and urban development, infrastructure, labor markets, environmental displacement, peace studies, among others. She was a member of the Feminist Economists Group for engendering the 12th and 11th five-year plans as well as of the subgroup on gender and macro policies appointed by the Planning Commission, Government of India. She is also consultant to UNDP, UN Women, ILO, World Bank, Asian Development Bank, World Wildlife Fund, ActionAid, and others. Her other honorary posts include National Executive Member of the Pakistan-India People's Forum for Peace and Democracy, Honorary Advisor to the Kashmir Foundation for Peace and Development Studies, and Board of Trustees of the Center for Budget Governance and Accountability. She is closely associated with training and capacity building related specially to gender budgeting and gender issues, and has conducted numerous workshops for the central government and also several state governments, including Jammu and Kashmir, Maharashtra, Goa, Tamil Nadu, Karnataka, and others. Her research, her research focus, uh, which interlinks academics, advocacy, and action, is the result of issues related to the marginalized, the last two focusing on theoretical empirical analysis of paid unpaid work and demonetization. Thank you very much, Professor Devan, for joining us today to share your insights on this intriguing theme. Without further ado, I hand over the proceedings to the chair, Professor Govind Kelkar, to make her initial remarks and then invite Professor Devan to deliver her talk. Ma'am, your mic. So we have very eminent scholar among us, uh, Professor Ritu Divan, and Anshula, uh, Dr. Anshula has done a very good job in introducing her. So I don't really need to add anything, except I think that Ritu Divan has been very much associated with the economic justice movement and with the kind of women's movement. So that is also, so here we have a meeting uh, or her uh, ideas 
on really that she would discuss the policy and practice and how patriarchy has developed and created and recreated in her talk and in the and particularly in the context of covid so we look forward to hearing you ritu and uh, that is that's just wonderful and i if i have to say something then i'll say after your talk and other uh, after discussion address thank you very much i don't want to take the time which you should be which would be more useful than when you talk ritu on you or arjun uh, you please conduct yeah thank you uh, so much anshul for the introduction and uh, of course govin kelkar and uh, really quite delighted that you are chairing this uh, session it means a lot in terms of the insights which you will be bringing in delighted to be here honored to be part of the uh, ipra presentation and i think in the in the past few months you really have done remarkable work in terms of focusing on uh, gender gaps and uh, gender issues through a wide range of uh, aspects now, now i will be talking today on of course my i'll put on the uh, ppt in a bit because as usual as an economist there has to be data otherwise it really of course i will not be reading out the uh, the slides that's all there but uh, my focus today and something which has really been um, I've been working on for some period of time, and uh, theoretically, of course, and, and in terms of policy analysis, data analysis, but also as a result of the work which I've been doing with the migrants ever since the lockdown was announced. And uh, consistently throughout, whether it's my academic research or uh, any other uh, you know, component in terms of advocacy or, uh, or ground level uh, action, that uh, what struck me the most, in fact, is the uh, is the issue that it's really not so much the pandemic, but the policy response or the lack of a policy response to the pandemic, which has created the huge issues that we are facing today, particularly where women are concerned. And that this has led to a process of a reversal of whatever few gains which we had over the past few years or the past few decades. And I will go through some of these in uh, detail. Uh, I, I'm sharing my screen now. Please let me know, Arjun, if it's uh, on. Is it on? Hello? Not yet. Oh, gosh. this. Uh, I wish I just, uh, in a way, handed it over to you. One second. I'm not yes, able please. to find the share screen. You can go to share screen again, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing that, but... Uh, that green button. Yes, yes, but somehow it's just not coming. Okay. No problem, ma'am. Ma'am, you can go to the file again. Yeah, that's why I've kept it open and that's what I'm doing, but somehow it's a, this is an internal uh, problem. One second. Oh, just close it and open it again then. Now? Has it come now? No. These technological challenges, no, is... Yeah. I'm still trying my best, but somehow... No problem, just email uh, it to me. Now, now? Mm -hmm. No, ma'am, just email it to me. 
and he just did it no yeah it's coming it has oh. come oh okay yes, fine okay 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 thank you you can go control l yes now i don't want to fool around with it no no nothing <laughs> will happen something happens to it no nothing will happen who knows all right now okay. now i'm i'm just using this because in any case the font i've used is uh, pretty big so this is basically the fundamental which i will be talking about i have structured this in a in a, uh, two ways uh, actually three because first i really want to talk about the context in which the uh, pandemic came to us it, it didn't come in a vacuum it didn't come in a societal economic vacuum there was already certain situations which were existing certain structures which were already there certain processes which had started several years back and then what comes within the pandemic and the impact of pandemic and the policy and this when i take gender issues i include of course women sexual minorities who we really don't talk about uh, particularly in terms of transgenders and what they went through and sex workers who are the worst and the most uh, affected another aspect which i think really has to be focused on actually there are two but i'm taking only one because otherwise it really becomes too long that under the cover of covid or while we were all busy with covid there were certain other background processes Uh, which were going on that is a camouflage in particular and that is the introduction of the labor codes i must say in a very undemocratic manner and the second one which like i said one can do later at some other point of time or during the discussion is the farm acts on which we are seeing a huge uh, impact and that the fundamental uh, uh, question of the farm acts is really what the i think the farmers have been saying very clearly the implementation of the swaminathan commission report and which is the only report which uh, uh, which says and be, uh, which recommends very strongly that women must be recognized as farmers which they still are not and of course when we talk about policy i will focus on government expenditure and of course the issue of revenue because uh, in fact when the situation demands huge increase in expenditure there has been a very strange kind of a contraction which now i think even the niti ayog has come up and said that no we really need to increase the capex uh, component so i will uh, start uh, basically with the uh, pre pandemic situation and uh, this i think the plfs data is on and in the pre pandemic in the last 5 6 7 years 2011 12 to 17 18 certainly is a huge fall in the gdp a huge fall in employment of men and on women and in particular of women in rural areas where it is it did fell down by 10% in in a period from uh, from 6 years 11 12 to 17 18 urban very low and here and this is why i uh, you know when we talk about issues like social distancing etc i really want to say we already socially distance you know whether it's in terms of caste or religion or gender or whichever way one may put it and that the highest fall in fact in work participation rate of women has been maximum amongst the tribals then amongst the sc and then amongst the obc and that the fall in uh, work participation rate of women has secular every single state in varying degrees experienced a decline in uh, work participation rates except very interestingly the state of bengal where it actually showed an increase of about 3% 
Also, the gender wage gap data is out. And again, the gender wage gap has increased instead of decreasing. So this is what I say that this is a, a, a situation which already existed before the pandemic came. And what really has the pandemic done in terms of the, the, the policy or the lack of a policy response? Industrial output already very low, functioning very low levels huge increase, I think the Oxfam report and even the World Bank has pointed it out, that the income inequality and the wealth inequality increased very sharply in the last four or five years. I'm not even talking about the individual levels, but I'm just talking about in terms of proportion, which is there. The consumption data is out. Uh, uh, that in up to 1718, 1819, and 1920, that consumption and demand expenditure had actually been decreasing over a period of time. And this is primarily because in India, India has the lowest monthly minimum wage of barely 4,300 a month. And th this is really the lowest in uh, South Asia. And it's not even. Uh, I think maybe it's just two thirds of what countries like Pakistan and Nepal have. Uh, nutrition, very much so shocking NSS data that three fourths of rural households already did not have nutrition. Uh, increase in uh, population, in not in absolute, in absolute numbers, of course it would increase, but in relative terms, the share of people below the poverty line has actually increased. And that during this process, and, and I, I don't think anything really shows the, the, the nature of the state. And when I say the nature of the state, I mean the macro patriarchal construct of the state, that even when the economy grew, though at a low level of 4%, already more than one fifth of salary jobs had already fallen. And of course, you have all the other indicators where we've fallen in terms of equality, in terms of hunger, in terms of environment, I'm not even getting issue into issues like press freedom and human rights, etc. The so therefore, what when the pandemic comes, what does it mean and what does it really happen? First of all, I have a huge objection, and I'm sure many of us do, <clears throat> is the way the pandemic lockdown, or really I would call it a lockup. How unplanned it was, how sudden it was. I mean, you can't have four days to, you know, light diyas and clang thalis and close down a country of India's size within four hours. And the population of India where one third are migrants. I think this was one of the most unforgivable uh, decisions, economic decision or political decision, whichever you may call it, take into account. There is a lot of data which has been coming out, of course, not so much by the center, but RBI data, CAG data, and various other organizations. And I want to use some of this data to show really the kind of impact which it has. Now, it was estimated about 24% decline, but I think many economists have calculated that the GDP actually fell by 50% because there was an informal component which was not taken into account as was also not taken into account all the various categories of informal workers in the Indian labor market, primarily, which is informal uh, sector. Data released just last week, and this was really quite shocking to us, is that of the top listed manufacturing companies, and this is a period when one would expect that profits would fall because sales were falling, people do not have money to spend on different kinds of uh, products apart from consumption. 
that profits actually increased by almost 20%. And, and this really, I think, and of course, wages fell. And, and this, I think, is, is the greatest indicator of the growth paradigm. Not I'm not calling the development paradigm, but the growth paradigm within which the current uh, uh, nation uh, is existing. Already, we had a low monthly, the lowest monthly minimum wage, 4,300, which has fallen to about 3,000 now. A 23% fall is something which is really very huge. And at every level, we will see, of course, some data is there, some data is not there, whether it's in terms of econ uh, economic uh, data or extra economic, political class, class, income, assets at every level, inequalities, which were already very high before the pandemic came, have increased even more so. And within this, women and sexual minorities in all the aftars are the worst affected. Now, the data which I will be uh, sharing, of course, locates in many instances, a higher proportion of men would be impacted, but then you cannot see women in isolation from what is going on in the rest of society because otherwise you're going to marginalize them yet again. So I'm trying to give comparative data as uh, much as uh, possible. The impact, and I'm taking these two issues separately. I'm taking the economic impact, that is the impact on women's livelihood. And then I will take the gendered impact in a very specific, or what we call women-specific uh, issues in a different manner. Now, when I started listing out uh, the impact on uh, women's uh, livelihood and, and what are the changes which have come, in terms of the pandemic or the pandemic policy, what really I would uh, like to say, I listed out some 29, but I realized that I could not uh, take all into account. So they're just about 15 or 16, which I will be dealing with. Of course, the fact that women historically first to fire, last to hire, that we know. A large proportion of men in the informal labor work sector, but very much more women. And here, there's a long list. We are familiar domestic workers, SSIs, vendors. What, what really, and that's why, you know, this policy component is something which I find uh, very, it's not only problematic, it is, it's just blind, I think, to the ground realities. <clears throat> you have a large number of women and men, of course, working in the handloom sector. And this is something which could have been supported so easily. But... Last month on National Handloom Day, the ha Indian National Handloom Board is disbanded. I, I, you know, to do it on the same day somehow was like salt in the wound when you actually should be strengthening because this is something which was very, very possible uh, to do as part of your policy response to the pandemic. Globally, of course, uh, we know that men have uh, also lost jobs and women have lost jobs much, much more. And in India, it is that 40% of women who were working in regular jobs have actually lost their employment. And it's very doubtful that they're going to get it back. Overall, in terms of employment, men very high, women even higher. And amongst, I think, the worst affected because of this issue of physical distancing and wearing masks and sanitizations, etc. And also, uh, I think, a, a very, uh, uh, you know, uh, anti-lower class kind of a perspective that, oh, these people live in slums and they're dirty, etc., etc. And therefore, 
they are uh, domestic workers not allowed into buildings and when they were allowed after a few months very viciously people who'd been working women who'd been working for decades were not paid their uh, wages and and it is shocking and these are surveys which have been done across different uh, uh, cities that 99 that's almost 100% used up whatever little savings which they had you know i have been i worked with them i interviewed some of them and this is a second whammy what they called after demonetization that time they sold everything in the first 3 or 4 weeks of demonetization even their pressure cookers their little nose rings which they pawned every single item that they could pawn that they have pawned and this process has happened all over again when a simple thing like a basic income transfer would have really helped these people to just survive i'm not even talking about nutrition levels that is another issue which i will uh, come to of those who are working more than half of the women did not get their wages i mean this includes even people even journalists who have not been uh, getting their wages for a very long period of time not to speak about those nurses and doctors that that i think is one of the unkindest cuts which has been there where the state policy is uh, concerned there are two other areas where women are hugely employed and one of course is the sgs and this is something which india has been very proud of that we have you know 60 we have 6 million sgs in the country and so many women are involved an average of 10 women in every sg and that's how they're managing their livelihood etc etc but not a single policy response where sgs were concerned totally disrupted supply chains and various other kinds of uh, problems which uh, they had another sector on which again and and is is hugely impacted and on which there has been some debate but not enough research is that of msmes now this also we are really a huge driver of growth historically within our country almost half of all manufacturing outputs comes from msmes 40% of exports which is really really very high when you see the other uh, one or two other uh, neighboring uh, countries and of this women form a very substantial component in terms of owners in terms of workers etc and this really faced a triple whammy you know there was total disruption in supply domestic demand decline external demand of course decline and then comes your uh, you know your uh, your china issue the india china issue which is there in uh, siachen and uh, other areas and a total cessation of any kind of exports or imports from china and a lot of these msmes depend on these cheap imports which have been there historically even simple things like tires and rubber and small little plastic buttons and hooks etc which have been which are imported historically from uh, there it is expected <clears throat> that uh, uh, the poverty rate and these are figures which have just been released by world bank and various other uh, organizations <clears throat> that before the pandemic uh, or or till uh, march if uh, one can say pre pandemic 13% of women and around just about a percentage less or so of men 
that was the in, the level of poverty which existed now this is the poverty level which is defined by the state etc and and i'm not getting into the debate on poverty line because that itself is a huge issue that in fact the poverty line is just so low that no human can survive on what has been defined that it is already low and both for men and for women it is expect for, for men a little more than for women it is expected to increase that much more by 2021 that is the current um, fi extreme poverty which is defined as uh, 1.9 dollars uh, per day is was 73 million in 2019 this year 87 million and by 2021 financial year it's expected to increase to 110 that is a 40 million per increase in terms of just women and a large number of them female headed households there is of course across the board we know fall in wages fall in incomes and uh, there are a large number of organizations ngos who seem to have stepped in to do a lot of the policy support work which the state actually should have done and uh, that women have been working for 8 to 9 hours a day on as low as 15 rupees and these are studies small studies which have come from up orissa bihar and one or two other states but these are the main main three states where these studies have been done and in bombay or mumbai sex workers because of the issue of physical distancing etc are now charging 10 rupees the extent of destitution among sex workers and transgenders is is something which is it is just unbelievable to see the extent to which they have been impacted of course we've had the process of reverse migration people going back and women when they go back they face increasing competition from the men who come back and of course a further incentive if we may call it that to a decline in wages overall and very much so where gender based wages are concerned now rural of course we know that uh, narega which was supposed to be scrapped on which there was a lot of opposition has been a savior in some kinds of ways and the demand is increased so much but not even one fourth of the demand has been met by across the board i'm talking of all the states as a uh, as, as on an um, average and the worst lot i think on which the whole pyramid of exploitation has been built is is migrant workers migrant women in particular and of course the sexual minorities and uh, sex uh, workers and when we talk even of you know in digitalization and the policy of digitalization and they yes money will be given how will it be given but still and this is rbi data is that all 176 million women still do not have their jandhan accounts and nor are they operated that is a totally different figure in which one can uh, go on from uh, there they are uh, what i i called well extra economic we can't say it's non uh, economic in that sense of the term that already in india 2019 i think that is when the data has come out that 40% of girls drop out between the ages which is your secondary and lower college levels and that only 11% have access to mobiles so when we talk about online education one of the first policy components would have been to provide basic mobiles 
to all apart forget about computers and we already know ashwarya's case and several other cases where you have had girls committing suicide because they could not continue with their uh, education another i don't know what to call it a policy response or a policy withdrawal but from april 60000 i think that is the 60000 students in india who were getting uh, scholarships and this is only at a school level i'm not talking about a university level that this has not been distributed what has been done to the money is a different issue i'll come into that later there is a massive increase decrease in nutrition level and this is already when the nfhs data tells us that almost half the women are underweight and more than half are anemic uh, surveys have been done whether it's by hunger watch or uh, various other uh, ngos the right to food and several other organizations who've been trying to collect data on this and cereal consumption now this is where your 5 kilos free to those who have ration cards policy which uh, came in and what we kept arguing those who were working amongst the migrants and amongst the poor at this point of time that please don't look at migrant cards just please give every household that comes 5 kilos or 7 kilos of cereal and of uh, pulses but this was not done the only instance and i really admire this is uh, pune municipality pune uh, in uh, maharashtra where they said forget aadhar forget ration card whoever wants and whoever comes we will be giving the 7 uh, kilos and that really helped to some uh, level uh more surveys have come in midday meals of course uh, except for one or two states which are still running it but that even the dry rations which are distributed wherever they are distributed more than half the children did not get it icds closed child care services closed immunization the data came in just yesterday that already within these 8 months that the percentage of immunization of children has fallen by 25% and in certain areas in bombay municipality we have made some calculations that the infant mortality rate has increased the child mortality rate has increased and because of interruption in antenatal services your morbidity and maternal mortality rate again has gone up one area on which very little work has been done but uh, there are several doctors who have brought this up we belong i belong to several doctors groups because we've been trying to raise you know the support for them whether it's in terms of masks or ppes etc that unsaved portion which already is up to an average 60 million abortions are carried out in india every year and now with this facility not available because the focus is primarily on the covid corona virus issue that unsaved abortion practices have really gone up and it is estimated again this is just last week that the information came out that unplanned pregnancies and what's going to happen within a few months is very that 26 million couples are going to be have been already affected by unplanned pregnancy so one can expect a huge rise in the percentage of uh, unsafe abortions which are going to take place uh, now in uh, this uh, current post pandemic uh, period there is also and uh, maharashtra again because i've been working on issues in maharashtra but this has been reported everywhere very much in tamil nadu very much in rajasthan in gujarat 
UP, Bihar, I think everywhere except the Northeast that this has been reported and that is a fall in the age of marriage, even to the extent of girls of nine and 10 getting married. Now, this is not something new in that sense of the term because the work which some of us have been doing on environment and development projects and displacements, that the threat of displacement or any kind of an economic shock leads to various results. And one of the major results is a fall in the age at marriage. And, and to have this situation and then to have a national debate that the age at marriage would be raised, I, I think is a little too cynical. I, I really don't know what uh, word to use. There is a term now which has emerged and that is called the shadow pandemic. There has been a lot of debate on this. There's a lot of work which is going on on this. And that's a huge increase in domestic violence which has uh, taken place. Of course, one is that you're, you know, you're at home uh, with the person who abuses you and beats you. You can't get out. So plus, please remember that 80% of India lives in one room shanties if they have a home or in huts. So the, that closeness and that claustrophobia of living in a room and living within with your abuser is, is something which is very difficult to deal with. But if maybe the affordable housing issue had been taken seriously in the past, this would not have come out so strongly. There is, of course, we see across the board, this is not new, but it has certainly increased. And that is gender-based violence. The, the issue of violence against women, the acid throwing, the rapes, the abductions, the gorging out of eyes. This is something which has it there in, in the past few years because violence at a macro level has, it's, it's just been normalized, you know, and now it has been internalized. So therefore, if, if there is silence at the top on the kind of violence against women which is taking place, then of course, it's, it's like the citizens have the right to do exactly what they want where women are concerned. Now, after the Hathras case, local uh, organizations did a survey, uh, a, what we call a budget analysis of the Nirbhaya funds. And they found that in UP, which has the maximum number of violence and rapes against uh, women, particularly, of course, Dalit women. And this is something which none of us have understood, that Dalits are untouchables, except when the women are to be raped. That 76% of the Nirbhaya funds till today are unspent. Also, what is not acceptable, certainly not acceptable, is the kind of, uh, I, you know, there was this uh, order which was given by the various courts that the prisons are overcrowded and that uh, those who are under trials, etc., on good behavior should be released. Now, I think none of the students or the professors have been released. In fact, more and more are crowding the jails but who have been released in many instances are convicted rapists. This is, is something which, it, it's unbelievable how openly this has uh, happened. And at least in nine cases of which I know that the rapists have come back, the released rapists have come back and have killed the girls and killed the girls' families. Of course, there's destitution, there's homelessness, um, a large number of uh, you know pe people in uh, in mumbai very much i can say and i'm sure also it's um, everywhere uh, else and that is people who could not afford paying their rent 
that they were really thrown out to the streets. Migrants I was working with, they wanted to go back to their homes. But some of them did not go back. And I kept trying to understand. I said, why? We are organizing your buses and trains for you. Why aren't you going back? And they said, because of Javam Bapis Ainge, we will not have the room for rent. The, the, we will not get it back. So then where are we going to stay? So this issue of homelessness and destitution, which has not been taken, is just not being talked about at all. And of course, the worst policy, I, I really don't know how to talk about this. It's the issue of unpaid work. Already we know, I mean, I've spoken about how, what percentage of the girls who have come back, who withdraw from uh, school, about 40% of the girls who withdraw from the ages of 15 to 18, and half of them withdraw to do housework or what we call unpaid uh, work. Now, I'm not getting to theorization on paid and unpaid work, but certainly the use value, exchange value component of it. <clears throat> and what has happened is a strengthening of unpaid labor. Of that, you know, the, I, I see the Indian economy and all economies, of course, <clears throat> as made up of two sub-economies. So you have the paid work component, doesn't matter how low the wages are, and you have a huge base of unpaid labor of women and also of men. It's not as if it's only women. Of course, the majority is of women. And this fundamental, the support structure is actually increased and intensified. And within this, this, this is something which was done with, with no ordinance, uh, no, uh, you know, uh, no announcement. You know, the cylinder, the gas subsidies for the cylinder, about 170 or 180 rupees per cylinder that was withdrawn in April itself without any announcement. And for a cylinder, which from 400 rupees is now in Bombay, it is about 700 rupees. Not to get that 150 for the poorer population is something which is very traumatic. So in fact, you have women now scrounging for you know dried mangroves and various other kinds of palm trees, etc., etc., to try and chill out their jula. And of course, Ujwala, which was touted as one of the most revolutionary um, reduction, and it did have an impact over, maybe not ideal, but certainly it reduced uh, the unpaid work of women, that that was stopped on the 30th of September in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the lockdown. This, I really think, is... is I, I, it's just, it's unforgivable to uh, where uh, this policy aspect was uh, uh, concerned. Within this, you have another attack on the rights of women. Of course, there are many, many other attacks on different kinds of uh, components which are contained in what I call the, uh, what we know as the labor codes which we are familiar, I'm not going to them in detail, just to tell you where the gender component and the attack, particularly on women's labor, all labor rights, and particularly on women's labor rights are so very important. So you have your code on wages, which replaces all these acts. We are familiar with this. And here I'd like to mention, people don't see the bonus act as extremely important in terms of the analysis which has been done. But please remember under the bonus act, the computation was, or the method for computing the proportion of bonus was built into the law. Now it has been taken 
out of the law and it is just going to be defined by an executive or by an ordinance by some bureaucrat or some minister who has no context of the reality of what is happening in uh, amongst the poor and particularly the even the formal labor market in india there is the second code which is on occupational safety health etc which replaces 13 acts okay again i'm not going to these two all these acts in detail but there are two which i would like to mention very much one of course is the plantation labor act which has been removed and under this new code 2 which is now as we know law this has been passed without any kind of discussion in uh, parliament is that what one of the aspects of what the plantation labor act used to say is that subsidized housing subsidized health a bit of insurance a bit of educational support that all this used to be given by the management or by the employer of the plantation workers this has been removed and the onus now the financial burden has been transferred from the management from the employer to the panchayat now for what this i is subsidizing the the profit component no not the wage component it's a total reversal and also what it does that in these pandemic times when talukas villages and districts and even wards when they need more funding because of the huge issue of gst and not getting enough developmental funding that even the resources which they have are now going to be constrained the second act and i'm just mentioning it here is the interstate migrant workmen now this is not to say that all these acts were implemented fabulously and you know not romanticizing the past at all but in fact the pandemic and the impact of the policy and what the migrants went through actually gave rise to a lot of issues which could have been integrated into the migrant uh, laws and improve the condition of uh, migrants and but actually the reverse has been uh, done and of course the issue of bd workers they have got their uh, you know they have they've had such a huge struggle from the 60s all these acts have come through struggles it's not something uh, which is very small the dock workers your mathadi workers bakwar and see all these acts all of them are linked to movements and linked to struggles of the workers the the third of course is the social security which came in just about a week ago and it replaces 15 acts which are there again i'm not mentioning in detail but please note the maternal maternity benefit act of 61 has taught and this is something which are founding fathers you know just after independence and the women who were in parliament really fought for this and what was what is uh, the, you know most um, the, I, i don't think it's even legal constitutionally it is legal that the ses funds and all the welfare funds and these are this is not the state money this is the workers money this is a portion of what the registered workers put in into the welfare fund the employer puts in an equal amount and this is used for the welfare of workers and a large amount of this money was used for education of daughters of course in one or two cases which we raised issues on even for marriages because that really institutionalizes dowry etc <clears throat> for education for health for maternity for family planning etc all this has been withdrawn and all of them have been uh, taken um, away 
uh, from uh, this. <clears throat> the fourth act, which I think affects everybody, and I'm just going to mention it, is of course these three acts, the industrial relation, which is still the draft rules are out, even the code three, the draft rules are out, and I hope we can get our act together and try and implement uh, and make some changes in that, at least to a very serious uh, level. Now, taking overall, if we see where these labor codes and the attack on labor rights, particularly on women's rights are concerned, that the beginning of the code says, and the preamble, if you can call it that, that the labor codes codification is for ease of doing business. Is this what labor rights are for? I mean, these are labor codes. These are not business codes. So therefore, the intention is very, very clear in the preamble itself. Also, what the Labor Code has done, particularly where women are concerned, that it redefines and de and and these were it it devisibilizes the work, the workers, and the workplace, and derecognizes all kind of home-based workers, whether it's domestic workers, apprentice, BD workers, zari workers, embroidery, garment, etc., etc., and therefore none of these categories can even the Sumangri scheme, the apprentices, that none of these categories can now come under whatever so-called benefits in courts which are there. And this I, is the, the rise in the working days is something which is part of the labor code and also what 12 states have put forward and already started implementing again for attracting uh, investment in pandemic times that the work hour, which internationally is being reduced to six hours a day, has gone up from eight legally, this is legal, to 10 to 12, and in certain states to 16, under what is called emergency conditions as defined by the employer. For women, the delinking of sexual harassment, so now your safe condition does not guarantee you protection from sexual harassment. Of course, the minimum weight calculation, which is a very typically patriarchal calculation. So a male is equal to one full consumption unit. A woman is equal to 0 0.8 consumption unit. And two children, 0 0.6, 0 0.6. So you have your, in any case, your happy family of two adults and uh, two uh, children. And the total consumption unit, which is calculated is three instead of four. Now, I'm not seeing children as children, but I'm seeing children as the future workforce. So you're talking about the quality in terms of nutrition and physical and mental capacity of the future of India in terms of the majority of the population. Of course, aged are not included. There is typical patriarchal definitions. Transgenders do not exist. Single person households, many of us are single person, not included. Uh, workers representations, women, workers' representations, which were 50% earlier, reduced to one-third. And in some instances, there are no workers represented, whether of men or of women. And of course, the extension, what we used to call ESMA, Essential Services Maintenance Act, has now been extended to every sector and every... And I'm not talking about privatization and PSUs and what is happening once these are uh, privatized. We've seen what's happened to the ports, what's the railways, the largest employer in India, and what is going on where these are uh, concerned. Now, how much time do I have left? Hello? Um, you can go on for, for okay, around five, ten minutes. Yes. Yeah, ten, 10 minutes 
maybe if i go a bit over 10 minutes please forgive me no problem because, uh, you yes, know sir. the argument which is uh, put forward is that um, is that there is no money the government really has no money the tax central tax revenue is falling it shows a fall of percent which is there and that is q on q which i have taken here on on your uh, comparisons this is of course rbi and cag data which has just uh, uh, come out in the macro reports and various other kinds of uh, uh, sources of data that in fact when central government spending should increase during pandemic time it has actually fallen and the largest fall has been in subsidies and the cruelest fall of all has been in food subsidy this is is i i really i, I don't know what term to use for this and maybe later on i'll end with a quote of what one of the workers uh, said food subsidy when nutrition levels are so dramatically low you know you go to a worker at today and a informal worker a migrant worker who's come back and living on the streets and you ask him kitna kitna kamai hua aaj ka now it's a daily basis it's not a monthly basis calculation with the workers have learned to make and they will they count in the number of chapatis they will not say 50 rupya ke 400 rupya they'll say 10 roti kamaya you know this i i this is the reality and in this to say that food subsidy fallen by one third is i think a total criminal act which um, exists the q1 q2 data is also out and uh, april to september and the uh, central government expenditure has fallen by 1.53 trillion this when money is available it's it's not only the tax revenue there are many other sources on which money and what i call wasteful expenditure and some i will mention some we are already very familiar with but some of the states have actually increased their expenditure maybe to a small amount of 0.20 trillion but still and this please remember the issue of gst it is a constitutional issue it is there in the constitution of india that the sharing or the devolution of funds between the uh, the cg and the sg is something which is there and we we know the huge struggle which is going on where states are concerned and so therefore to raise little bit of resources the only two recourse which the states have to increase their revenue one is alcohol tax vat which they are allowed which of course impacts women much much more in terms of uh, you know the expenses of the house of the limited expenses now which are spent on alcohol and the kind of violence that it generally leads to and of course petrol which then increases your cpi and your wholesale price index and of course your consumer uh, price uh, <clears throat> index the uh, year ago period data has also just come out just a few days ago and the actual expenditure which is there was equal period till october that's april to uh, october last year and what it is this year has actually fallen by 5% and and this is again something which is inexplicable or it is explicable like i said in in the words of a, a migrant uh, worker the capital expenditure is has fallen by 12% uh, 
and within this comes this extremely uh, uneconomic, inexplicable, uh, I, I don't know, again, inefficient, what, that actually the RBI spends money. What did it spend money on? And this is when rupee is the only South Asian currency which is falling, that it actually bought dollars when the dollar was the highest at 75 rupees. Now, to spend this kind of a money when we already have uh, overused, your exports are low, your uh, revenue data, all that is very clear in terms of how much of excess there is in uh, India. And I'm not even talking about the FDI and this entire context of Atmanirbhar. You know, to have a, 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 a term like Atmanirbhar and yet call in for more foreign investment is an utter contradiction in terms. It, it's a total uh, uh, contradiction in uh, economic sense and also, of course, in terms of policy and impact. Now, this is something which I really wanted to, uh, and I will probably uh, end in uh, five minutes where this is concerned. This is the CAG data, which has just come out again about last week that it came out. And these are ministries, some of them, I've taken only selected ones, where the spending has actually fallen. Again, this is uh, year on year, compared Q1, Q2 of uh, 19 and of uh, 20. Your statistics calculate if funding has stopped, has dropped by a whopping 72%. And this is when there is no data on migrants. It is claimed that there is no data on migrants and yet no effort is made to spend money to collect any kind of information. Law and justice reduced by 62% when cases of violence are so huge. MSMEs, when so MSMEs and textiles, when so many people are employed, we've seen the figures in MSMEs. Power and shipping, yes, one can understand the reduction. Skilling and entrepreneurship, this and tribals who are the worst affected. And this is something where a lot of programs could be could have been carried out and money could have been spent. And I think the biggest shocker for us was that 73% of the Nirbhaya funds in the center went to the Ministry of Home Affairs and did and on no conditions of what it is to be spent on. It was just given over or it was appropriated and it does not remain with the Ministry of Women and Child uh, anymore. On the other hand, the highest spending, 90% more was Ministry of Civil Aviation. And this is of course getting uh, your stranded NRIs back and uh, rural development increase, agriculture, et cetera, et cetera. What I find very interesting is that finance increased only by 11. Health and family welfare, which in fact should have increased by maybe 500%, has actually gone up only by 14%. Okay, Because your lockdown period or your lockup period, whatever you may call it, is the time to develop your infrastructure, your health infrastructure more than anything else. And what I find very intriguing is that parliamentary affairs spending 4% more. Parliament has not made, the call has been truncated, and yet what are you spending on is, is something which is very strange uh, to me. Now, how does one conclude? I mean, of course, these are, I mean, a nursery child will tell you that the driver of growth is demand and it is not supply. 
also the most cynical uh, i think statement which came was a request during the first lockdown by the governments to please pay your workers i mean employers please pay your employees and your workers etc and yet covid warriors nurses doctors have been agitating to be paid their salaries they have not been paid their salaries you know first this term warrior is such a masculine military kind of a term which is uh, used of course there have been others the issue of credit when actually for sgs in particular and msmes there should have been a moratorium on debts so your entire policy of corporatization of your monetary policy rather than a people oriented monetary policy the policy design also is something which is very problematic there was 1500 rupees which was given for 3 months to widows and to some disabled categories now okay 1500 is pathetic all right that that is another issue the amount is another issue but what was the policy design that this 1500 was to be given over 3 months over 5 3 months 500 rupees each now these women and these physically disabled people remember there's no transport there are no buses there are no trains she has to depend on private transport to go either to the taluka headquarter or to the district headquarter to collect that 500 so what we've calculated is that 200 rupees of that 500 is spent just on accessing that amount of money so basically what she gets is that much less now if the policy designer said okay one 1500 eight time jaake le lo don't make three trips in three years apart from your exposure to the virus etc etc there is of course the issue of mobility female headed and nothing absolutely nothing has been done for remand homes for orphanages for juvenile centers for what you call uh, you know uh, mental homes etc absolutely nothing not a single policy statement which has been uh, made and i would just like to end here that you know it's uh, we do gender budgeting etc etc but the the fundamental concept one concept which we have been opposing for a very long period of time i personally have been fighting with the planning commission when it existed is please don't have a ministry of women and child it should be ministry of women separate and then you can have ministry of child and youth or whatever separate this again reinforces the patriarchal thing of that children are the responsibility of women alone and of course we know that about i think the normal calculation average over all these years is that 93% of what is allocated to the ministry of women and child is spent on children and only the rest on women the issue of gst i'm not getting into that but what it is doing by not giving the gst not only is it flouting the constitution but it has reduced development funding for the future so the impact which you have on patriarchy and on development and various other indicators is a long term impact it's not going to get over in two months or six months or within one year and and you know um, rhetoric is one issue your commitment to gender issues etc is one issue but the only translation which makes any kind of a sense is the allocation that what is how are you articulating your commitment in money terms and 
I was horrified. This is, of course, minus one FI. That is uh, last year's budget. This year's budget is just totally, you know, reworked into what is called relief package, etc., etc. That 410 crores were given, and this is national data, huh? for working women's hostels, plus Mahila Shakti Kendra, plus crash scheme, plus rescue traffic women, plus widows. This is almost half of what was given to the cow welfare mission. All right. And the calculation which is made, of course, is, is, is very much there that what women get, these categories of women get 34 crores a month for all women in uh, India, while the cows in India get about 187 crores. That is per month. That is the expenditure. And to end, really, how does one end except to say that uh, the, the um, issue really, therefore, becomes one of um, recognizing the state as is it an enabler of equality? Is it uh, uh, so? Is it really an enabler or is it a de equalizer? And, and that is what I you know, see as the fundamental that what the policy has done, the pandemic, of course, but what more than that, what the policy has done is to actually take people and within them women back for a very long period of time. And I will end here. There's a lot more, but I'm sorry if I have uh, gone uh, over. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much, uh, Professor Ritidewan, for covering so many of issues. And I know the time is less for covering upon each of them. So uh, without having any further ado, uh, let me uh, uh, start the panel discussion. Govind, ma'am. Uh, I thought uh, I was coming after the discussant, but I right. would, uh, I would, uh, is the discussant, we should give the first chance to discuss. Yes, Anshula, why not? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so our first discussant is Ms. Pankhari Dutt. She is a public policy consultant, economics and finance at Niti Aayog. Professor Devan, uh, thank you for that presentation. Uh, it's uh, actually the situation is way more grim than um, uh, what I was aware of. And uh, thank you for sharing some, um, some useful numbers uh, that I'll be actually uh, looking at for my work as well. Um, as far as the pro-cyclicality of the expenditures are concerned, um, um, I was also appalled to see, um, uh, you know, why the, the, what is happening. Uh, and the lack of optimal revenue reallocation is also very surprising. And, uh, you know, I keep um, uh, telling my team at work is that uh, when you have bad news, it's usually, you know, there's cyclicality. So it's usually followed by uh, good news. So and the whole world is in this together. So uh, fiscal transparency is very, very important at this point of time. And we have to share how we are spending the money and, you know, what is the impact. And uh, uh, while the central government has at least has some numbers, uh, state governments um, uh, are actually very, very, uh, there, there is a huge lack of transparency when it comes to how states, states are spending their money or, you know, what their impact is going to be. So that is uh, one uh, side that, uh, you know, it, the more granular the data, the better we'll understand how, what the impact has been at state level also. So that is something I am uh, uh, rooting for as well. When it comes to the lockdown measures, I mean, even now as we are opening up gradually, 
what we realize is that schools and creches have not opened up, but we're all expected to show up at work. So again, um, without any heed being paid to the, uh, you know, uh, situation at home as to who's going to educate the kids, who's going to sit with them in front of the computer because uh, kids will not study, just open the laptop and attend classes. And this, and this I'm talking about older kids who are still going to school, have schools. Uh, there are mothers who have younger kids, uh, you know, who don't go to school and the daycares and freshers are not open. So the only option they have left is to quit work. What happened during lockdown was, you know, you said that there were two points. Uh, Women had to uh, women for women in formal jobs had to leave their uh, work and uh, domestic work was not being called at home. I think the the second point fed into the first point is that uh, uh, the share of uh, majority of the household work and childcare and elderly care fell on the women's uh, shoulders, and uh, that is why uh, a lot of women had to quit. Uh, they could not spend adequate amount of time on their work, and uh, which led to them quitting or being fired. And again, you know, the general outlook is also that, you know, um, it, it, the trend also shows that women are usually the ones who are fired first, as you pointed out. The second um, economic impact that uh, you briefly touched upon was, uh, you know, salaries, wages are usually lower for men, uh, for women than men. And um, if you look at the PLFS survey, the data is it's an urban male. Um, uh, this is for the entrepreneurs uh, um, class urban male earns more than a rural male uh, followed by urban female and the lowest is obviously rural women and again among entrepreneurs uh, rural women most of them are actually uh, you know they are not uh, entrepreneurs they are, they are they're somebody who is working as domestic worker or like you know unpaid work etc so um, the other impact of the lockdown was um, you know the public transport closed down uh, uh, throughout the country and uh, because women earn less uh, they do not usually have two wheelers. They don't know how to drive. They don't, they're not car owners. So, and, and, and at the same time, when you shut down public transport, they are not usually left, left with a lot of ways to commute as well. So again, you know, um, women who, um, as the, um, uh, you know, uh, I can give an example of Delhi Metro being shut down, uh, even though, you know, uh, people were asking staff to show up to work. So uh, this again takes a huge economic impact on um, this, uh, the, the wages of women and how it is used. So uh, a lot of women get reimbursed only for Metro. Uh, so, and they had to commute by auto rickshaws instead, which increased their expenditure. So these are inequalities uh, that were actually, um, you know, exacerbated during the pandemic and obviously uh, through subsequent phases of uh, the reopening that has happened. and. Uh, um, as you pointed out, uh, the uh, these inequalities already existed and have been exacerbated. So once again, thank you so much for uh, bringing out these numbers. Um, uh, I am actually, uh, <laughs> I'll be using a lot of your information to uh, inform my work as well. And that's it, that's it from my side. Thank you, Pankaj. So Arjun, uh, we have the second panelist, right? Yes, ma'am. So our next discussant is Dr. P. Rajeshwari. She is Assistant Professor, Political Science at the School of Humanities and Social Science, G.D. Goenka University. Um, thank you, Professor Divan. I think I'm really in awe with so much of data and, uh, and, and the kind of work that you've done and the way you've analyzed it, it's really amazing. And I must compliment you for that. So uh, thank you so much for bringing in uh, so much of clarity uh, related to the kind of inequalities that exist. Uh, having said that, uh, I would like to say that uh, now it is a well-established fact that uh, the pandemic itself 
is anything but a great equalizer. And I think your uh, data is completely like, you know, talking in that sense. Uh, it also has, it's clear now that uh, the pandemic has led, uh, further led to women typically take on uh, the greater share of the unpaid housework and uh, hampering, obviously it's going to hamper their return, uh, you know, to and progress later uh, to the paid employment. And uh, to understand the impact of the pandemic on women and also to frame policies, uh, I think would require to move beyond a growth oriented approach uh, related to evaluations of the economy also. And uh, I'm also wondering uh, after listening to you, uh, going back to, I mean, I don't come from an economics background really and come from a political science background and really take, taking it from there, essentially, and trying to understand that your work really resonates with what uh, we have read with Martha Nussbaum's work also, and I'm and particularly in the context of South Asia. And I think uh, the GDP approach is essentially speaking in terms of averages, which is quite deceiving, and it's not really telling the real story. They tend to speak uh, in averages, but do not tell us like what the real story is. So I'm wondering that, uh, would it be correct then to say that you require a lens that becomes important and uh, talks about each person to be valuable? And essentially, I think from what you were talking about in your data also, I was thinking about the whole idea of the dignity per se of every individual that I think is completely lacking in policy itself. And that's what I think uh, your data and even I would uh, say Nussbaum's work talks about essentially. So I was wondering if that kind of approach is what is really required and it's not absolutely there. So policies and multiple ways of policy making is approached. Uh, if it's approached through such a lens, uh, uh, then, you know, naturally this uh, parity is not going to happen. So when we speak uh, of, for instance, a universal kind of approach or like, you know, a basic in income approach also, what do we keep as the threshold? I just thought if you could reflect that a little bit, uh, should capabilities be one of the threshold or what is it that we take as a threshold? And I would also like to uh, flag another issue over here. Um, I did several months of fieldwork in Jharkhand on a capacity development program and also uh, fieldwork related to uh, sex workers based in Delhi and different parts of India. And your work also, you've talked about sex work, sex workers. And uh, uh, from the work that I, when I spoke to these women, I realized that they're very well aware about the different kinds of bodily exploitation that also happens and these several inequalities that persistently they face because of the patriarchal structure. But there are also everyday resistances uh, that they are engaged in in multiple ways. And I think to understand their struggles, uh, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, and complexities within these patriarchal uh, power structures, I think it will be also important to unearth some of these, uh, like, you know, not just patterns of dominance, but also patterns of resistances that are often hidden and never spoken about really. And I think, uh, do you think it would require a critical kind of lens to be able to end state and policymakers need to have that kind of critical lens to be able to unearth these? And uh, I would also like to understand that, you know, how these struggles and resi resistances can become a point of understanding these power structures and whether it is possible to weave that in the policy uh, structure also. Uh, is there any possibility of that? And um, the third uh, thing that I really wanted to flag was that uh, when we speak about these, uh, uh, this lens that we are uh, speaking uh, in that context, like, you know, something that really tells uh, maybe a feminist lens also, since you've been involved so much with the women's movement and you were saying that, you know, patriarchal ways of policy making itself is a problem. So I'm wondering that 
even if we take as suppose if we take feminist lens also as being a lens then there are also disagreements and different and particularly when you're talking about sex workers because you know within the feminist movement also there's disagreements related to that as well so uh, do you think it's important therefore to have an intersectional approach uh, which is flexible to different sets of realities and contexts and which work towards inclusive inclusiveness rather than reinforcing those very policies and practices that they really set out to challenge. Uh, that's like, you know, one of the things that I thought. And also uh, we need to carve out maybe uh, a lens, which is also perhaps, uh, I, I don't know whether you can call it a South Asian way of looking at things because we know that, uh, and your work also, and your data also specifically talks about this, that, you know, how things are not similar for the entire uh, structure. I mean, you know, universal ideas perhaps wouldn't work in that sense. So these are the three issues that I really wanted to flag and thank you so much. Uh, it has indeed been a pleasure to listen to you. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Diwan. Anyone else would like to come or uh, Ritu, you would like to address these questions or let me also say something and then how we should go about. Anshula, is there any other? Yes, ma'am, we have a wildcard entry. Asha, okay. That is Professor Devanathan. Because Thank sir you. has been listening, if he can also come and say something, ma'am, then you can. Would you like to comment, all of you? You have been listening, you said that. Why don't you come? Yes. Uh, Anshula, why don't you just introduce sir? Meanwhile. Uh, yes, we have. Or he can introduce himself. That is okay. Anshula may not be ready. So just say, you can tell uh, me. Anshula was ready. <laughs> Okay, I'll just take <clears throat> Govin's place over here. I am Dev Nathan. I mean, well, an economist among other things. I was also fortunate to be, had a very good group of students when I was teaching at Bombay University. One of them was Ritu. So I was happy to listen into this lecture by Ritu. And just one point I would make that one side of the story was brought out by Ritu, the manner in which the whole way in which the entire burden of this crisis has been pushed onto labor and particularly to women in different age groups and in different, in different locations. The other side of it is that there's a very clear policy of building an economy based on very high levels of monopoly or oligopoly, whichever way you put it. So we have on the one side, the removal of all protections for labor of all the end of Ujwala and all of these little, little schemes which were of some benefit to women. And on the other side, we have a policy of promoting the largest, they're not just now mega corporation, they're becoming hyper corporation, particularly the, the way in which <coughs> Reliance, <coughs> sorry, Reliance expects to combine its monopoly or its very strong position in the telecom market with a strong position in the retail market and become a monopolist in more than one market and utilize big data 
to be able to really create a large, uh, very large enterprise. Now, Tatas may also come along in this manner. They have been somewhat backward in this. They've not utilized the strength of TCS and their entire own IT companies. But these are now also likely to be allowed to have to get permits to start commercial banks. Now, this is the most dangerous move because you will have big, big capital and big banks getting together. Not only will the bank capital loans or the deposits that each of us make be utilized for the benefit of big capital, but they'll give them a huge, a very strong position in the economy as a whole. No country has done this, has allowed big companies, corporations to start their own banks. And if we, as we are moving in this direction, so the other side of what Ritu said is really the manner in which the oligarchies or the monopolies are being allowed to take over and uh, to take over the Indian economy. I'll just make this one comment here. Thank you. Um, thank you, Professor Nathan. Uh, we would like to go to our chair now, Professor Govind Kilkar. Ma'am, if you would like to come in with your comments. Sure. I, I don't have any disagreement or I have 100% agreement how the process of de-equalization have increased over the years and particularly in this period of crisis or uh, virus kind of attack. So uh, women were always seen as the last kind of thing, categories. And so when the crisis came, the money was diverted to various other things. And uh, they were the, they were getting it least in terms of either the, and a lot of schemes were introduced uh, as Arjun would say, but uh, these schemes really did not make any impact. And that's why I said that they were like palliatives huh? that in order to say, oh, we are doing so much and the reporting at the international level that they were doing it because there is also kind of international level uh, that commitment is made in SDGs, that India is very much a party and it does present and the whole July scheme. India has acquired such good name. <coughs> I was in a meeting in Oslo and I was surprised to see not a single Indian was there except me and I was also representing uh, another organization. Uh, that how India was praised for this uh, kind of uh, um, clean cooking energy and doing something for the climate. So then I realized that really what happened and then I decided to study also in terms of how these schemes are to be interpreted. Uh, Ritu has done very good, uh, Professor Ritu Divan has done very good gender budget analysis of the, well, the whole budget earlier, where it is going uh, and how it is going. And only one uh, kind of thing that there is a little difference I find between the Ministry of Home Affairs and the Ministry of Child Development in terms of uh, either perspective or in terms of, it's more kind of bizarre, of course, if these funds go uh, to Ministry of Home Affairs, <coughs> uh, the Nirvaya funds, because uh, I have seen this kind of Ministry of uh, Women and Child Development. One thing is that the, it is only the whole uh, question of spending all the money for children and not at all to women's empowerment because they are only basically mothers. They are the um, breeders for the society or India or to control the population both ways. 
and nothing else about them. They are not seen as the individuals in their or the human beings in their own right. Uh, I also uh, kind of think that it is, you had a very comprehensive picture, database picture, uh, Professor Divan, on kind of dismantling of development in India. Whatever the gains were made, or at least we have a hazy picture of some gains, and they have come in a very kind of sharp analysis that how these gains uh, women have lost, and men have also lost, but women in particularly are hit harder as the data show and as we uh, repeatedly read. But uh, there are some other things that is also we need to understand that uh, the women have not been taking lying down of any age, young and not so young women, okay? That is what kind of thing that is also important. Any kind of crisis also does create some kind of uh, so any kind of thing that you, any kind of crisis, I saw this in Asian crisis, but that time I was in Thailand and I saw it now. So the activist of Pinjara Toru or the kind of uh, feminist or, or women's movement recognition of the sex workers, okay, itself is kind of thing. These are some challenges that, uh, that are not challenges. These are some advances earlier they were challenges. Women's signature campaign, almost every day we have to sign, give our signature for one or another, and these signature movements are very powerful, Bikalp, then reportedly the rural commitment. So there is a resilience and resistance that also is increasing against the state, which was not in pre-pandemic situation so much. There were people, but as the activist and as the kind of uh, state oppression increased, and uh, the more bizarre kind of situation came, the resistance also increased. And that is that gives us the hope. So people's resistance movement, farmers resistance movement, we should not really ignore these kind of the gains made uh, during pandemic. And I think this kind of resilience and resistance, we need to recognize when we are presenting this picture of the adverse impact uh, created by the, uh, by pandemic, handling the pandemic situation. Uh, also, I wanted to say that uh, Dalit women and rapes. I, I, in my village, there was a saying, and I remembered now, that uh, having a sex with a Dalit woman does not affect the caste purity. The Brahmins and Thakurs repeatedly said that. Not marriage, okay, but extra kind of sex, raping them, that did not affect their caste purity. And now we see this more kind of thing in a very bizarre kind of fashion, in a very open fashion, which is being repeated. Uh, not surprised at all about withdrawal of the gas subsidies because they'll say that we have achieved the quota, so why we should do that. But we need to really look at this and we need to point out this, uh, that this achievement, how, what are the dark corners in this achievement? So I see myself in terms of kind of hope in this, uh, in these resistance and resilience building. And uh, they need also kind of COVID, what is coming out of the COVID when the things become so bad, so bizarre, so kind of, it is not that people are miserable and they are not able to, how much food was distributed by the communities to the migrants and to others. And the, so the, 
the community action also is important uh, to look at this. Otherwise, I mean, what we, what uh, Professor Ritu Doban pointed out by the state, what the state did, and I agree, totally agree with that. But I think there is another side of it, which is, I'm not saying that uh, this is the kind of, there should be some, this kind of crisis and then people become aware. But what is important is that <coughs> this crisis also has led to realize, to talk about these things, which we talked earlier, but it was a tiny group of the feminists. It was not so widespread where the young and uh, old and uh, middle-aged, everybody came out and they are talking about. Gender question itself is spread in terms of uh, looking at the and the third thing we need to pay attention, I was recently in my village and what I was came to for some family kind of um, festivities and what I was surprised to see, every woman was complaining about the increased care work and they wanted really to children go away. So these were the children who were, uh, whether they were in the school or they were, uh, they lost jobs, they were all there and these mothers have become so much overburdened that this kind of motherhood, which is kind of uh, very much valorized that, oh, they will do everything, sacrifice. They say when when they can have a kind of breather in uh, to, and they did not have a breather from this enormous work. And uh, I did not see any kind of violence, but definitely the, there were reports because, <coughs> and uh, the study that has been conducted by Empuri of this telephonic survey, that there are ridiculous, and I also ask Pradhan people, that there are ridiculous grounds on which the violence is happening, domestic violence. Women, children are crying and woman, woman is blamed that she cannot take care of the children. There is too much salt in the, or the food is not tasty or food is not hot. That is the, this thing. And she's not taking care of in-laws and other dependents. So women are, women are beating left and right within home, within domestic sphere. And of course, the garment study and uh, in which I have been having the advisory role and also uh, public in workplace and public spaces also, we need to see how much violence has increased. And this increase in violence is also that young men feeling threatened that these women are going to take jobs. So let them be there. So domestication of women is also going to increase. So on the one hand, we have the resilience. On the other hand, that there would be a kind, there is of course the fall, official fall in the women's employment. So that, that you pointed out, and then this data is very, very important. But surprisingly, uh, state is sitting in a very kind of, uh, what to say, uh, I'm lacking the either word in Hindi or English, in a very slumber kind of thing that they are doing the good work or they are not doing good work at all. Whether it is farmers or it is women, they are at a loss how to address the issue. So dig the roads in order not to come them to Delhi so that the problem is solved. That is the, this is how the approach is, which is a ridiculous kind of thing, a state which, which has been talking about um, uh, emerging um, economies. Uh, in Asia, and this is the situation. So thank you so much, uh, Professor Ritu Diwan. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, 
for highlighting these issues and for bringing such important points to the discussion. Uh, Professor Ritu Devan, would you like to come in now and respond to these uh, comments? And then we can have some more questions and comments after that. Ma'am, you can choose to touch upon any of the issues, yes. Yeah, I know because the issues are so vast, so you'll have to give me two extra lectures over the next year to be able to complete we the can answer. That, yes. no, no. So no. I, I just, uh, there are many issues which have been raised, so I'm just putting them, uh, you know, all uh, uh, together. And uh, one, of course, was, I mean, which for me, it, it's a very important study, which uh, I've been doing in an important area on which very little work is being done. And that is this issue of public transport and roads and what's been happening to women in terms of travel, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, remember, this is a, it's a long process of even privatization of roads. All right, don't, don't uh, forget that privatization of, uh, of uh, public transport, now privatization of railways, certain lines have already been sold. So in a way, this links up very well with the point which uh, Devnathan uh, brought out. And that is the whole policy which I had tried to talk, but I, obviously I could not uh, go into any kind of a detail. And that is the nature of oligopoly, the sale of, uh, of everything. You know, you have your corporate loans which are forgiven, but your poor SAG women who give have loans of maybe 5,000, 10,000, which they can't pay, that is not uh, forgiven. And uh, this entire issue, I think it's, it's a very clear policy I, uh, which, which is there of uh, centralization of capital in a very, very small hand. And nothing exemplifies this much more than the information, again, which was given internationally by Fortune and Forbes and other magazines. We didn't get it here. And that is the further increase in the wealth of the richest in India. We already had 1% owning equal to 70%. And since April, and I'm going to take, we know the names of Ambani and Adani. Ambani was the ninth richest man in March 2020. And in, in August 2020, within a matter of three to four months, his wealth has increased by 36% to become the fourth richest in the entire world. Okay, so this is the kind of control and concentration, which, of course, with the farm laws and various other kinds of uh, events, uh, your airports and ports and uh, telecom, solar, everything which is being uh, divided and, uh, and, uh, and linked. So therefore, you know, when, um, uh, okay, there were two or three other um, issues. One was... Um, uh, the issue of feminism, I think, which has been raised, that how do different feminist perspectives, etc. I think it's like all different perspectives. I mean, let's not talk about divisions within the feminist movement. There's so many divisions within, say, the liberal movement. But there is unity, certainly, that on these issues you come together, whatever your differences may be. And that is one thing which I see as a huge hope and which was shown during the anti-CAA struggles just before the pandemic came and which is shown now that all organizations, all NGOs in the majority, of course, there are a few exceptions, et cetera, et cetera, have come together. And, and whether it's women or it's farmers or it's workers or migrants or domestic workers, whichever category you talk about, I think that's one huge lesson which we have uh, learned during that movement and during the anti-CA movement 
and now when we are facing this kind of in fact this is something which nagmani has also raised a question in the question and answer thing that the, the issue of us needing to come together and that is something which is uh, priority whether it's a question of human dignity that's an issue which was raised or humanity or whatever we may see it and that we realize very clearly that the struggle of the people and the struggle of the people who been affected of whatever categories is not to be mixed up with what is called, what is electoral politics today i think those things are two very very different issues and that has to be in a way partly kept separate but also to be interlinked in many different kinds of ways and uh, this i think the ngos um, you know they filled the gap the state did not do anything where migrants were concerned no transport nothing no food nothing nothing for a very long period of time and ngos individuals housing societies i mean just film stars just everybody got together to support the migrants and yet the greatest controls are on ngos are on organizations whether it's in terms not only of you know filing cases or arresting even things like fcra rules and whatever other rules they may be so these forms of control which certainly exist but the forms of resistance also as govind has pointed out have increased uh, very uh, sharply so um, the unpaid issue which is very very essential and uh, i certainly do not want to reduce and that is something which you know i've written those two three books on that unpaid work or the resolution of unpaid work is not it it's not to be based on behavioral issues or behavioral economics that if the you know husband is uh, more sensitive and he does more of the cooking and he helps with clothes washing or child care or whatever then he is going to uh, become uh, you know then the problem of distribution of housework of unpaid labor will be resolved the resolution comes from the top the resolution comes from creches being provided so that the uh, family including especially the women of course from clean cooking energy from water directly within the house these are the kinds of macro these are the macro economic base so the redistribution of unpaid work is only from a national level from a macro level and that's why i call it the macro patriarchal state that it does not take these uh, issues into uh, account there are many other aspects i will not go into it but uh, i would certainly like to uh, end with uh, i think there are two minutes uh, more one is uh, i had prepared a long list but uh, it's going to take me i think several weeks to sit and calculate the data is available how much money there is is there available for distribution to the poor even if you give universal basic income of 7000 or even if you want to say non income tax paying family forget about your aadhar or uh, whatever it is what it means for them and the amount of money which is available i mean every day you come into examples of wasteful expenditure of course reduction in expenditure there's a lot of money lying you have your pm care which there's no audit you know it's allowed to have no no audit or uh, transparency uh, you have as of now 20000 but later on going up to another 40000 a total of 62 63000 being spent on rebuilding the parliament house all right the case in fact we i filed a case along with few others in the supreme court in february we don't have a hearing 
we are not given time for a hearing and already the date of the foundation laying of the new parliament house and gandhi statue being shifted is already being done there is of course your uh, bullet train contract on 26th of november lnt got a contract of 25000 crores to build a bullet train when trains are not running and they're not going to be running for a very long period of time so these and i'm not even going to talk about kartik purnima where how many 11 lakh diyas were lit just 4 days ago 20 quintals of roses from kashmir i mean the cruelty of it and the insensitivity of it is something which uh, shocks me and uh, when we talk about uh, you know the state how do we perceive the state it doesn't care is it blind etc it was explained to me in one sentence by a migrant worker when i was working with them and uh, in bombay the plane was landing and this was in april sometime and one worker looks up and says dekho nri wapas aa rahe all right and the woman migrant next to me she says hum bhi to nri hain and i'm like kya bola what aap nri ka matlab kya samajhte ho kehti hai non required indians and <laughs> and i think that really defines you know the nature of the state that it doesn't care it doesn't require the people at all so i think to expect anything from this state it's it's not blind it's it's not sleeping it's not that it doesn't care i think people don't exist they just don't exist so therefore no data they don't care if there's no data on migrants what does it matter there's there's no data on you know many many issues which are uh, being uh, and what is there is not released i mean a lot of the data plfs and other data is leaked data in courts please uh, remember it's not official uh, officially released uh, data thank you in case i missed out anything thank you professor deman for responding with such pertinent points um we have uh, one or two more questions and comments uh, if we can take those uh, so we have uh sunidhi agarwal she is a researcher at uh, impri and she is joining us from jamshedpur sunidhi yeah. hello ma'am hello everyone so as anshula said that i am sunidhi and i am currently a student researcher at impri and i am joining from jamshedpur jharkhand first of all ma'am i would like to say it was such an amazing presentation and the points put put by you were really so much so like ma'am you have touched upon so many points about the legislation act since independence and i would also like to say that there has been a lot of stance upon planning currently but despite that there has been disparity among women be it rich be it poor and especially regional inequalities so ma'am what can the policies be in the backward states like jharkhand from where i belong among the ones already doing good and especially what can india learn from other nations and from other developing countries what are the best practices or any distinctive points that can lead to a positive impact in the lives of women and mainstreaming their roles with respect to the current situation like the pandemic yes let me also add few things ma'am what also uh, uh, we should not do because uh, 
So Nidhi really asked, what are the best practices? I would say, what are the worst practices that we should avoid, especially in this time of pandemic? And ma'am has really started her lecture uh, uh, from uh, take, as an economist taken from uh, growth stance. And ma'am really used many new words, macro patriarchal state, uh, not required Indian and so many things. But some of the policy thing I also wanted to touch upon uh, in regard to SSGs, ma'am really touched upon, we have 6 million up to 10, so uh, more than 6 crore of women. Uh, something was launched in between, but that was also, I would say, just wishy-washy uh, that you have, uh, you make uh, uh, only around 1,000 SSGs uh, participated in, in government e-marketplace and those sorts. Also in MSME, Mudra, uh, in Narega, women have more, but in MSME, we have Stand Up India scheme also, but they are also very, very less of that. Uh, ma'am, really touched something upon housing, homelessness, and right to property. Govind, ma'am, uh, uh, did not touch upon that. So I thought really to highlight very pertinent issue from especially Mumbai, uh, so, so many of experiences we are getting. And uh, I really wanted to know from ma'am, uh, since so many policies and other things ma'am has highlighted, ma'am, you also mentioned about CAG and also then data. So when the CAG report is coming, and that is coming quite periodically, more than the data we are publishing, and it is highlighting even the parliamentary standing committee, they are highlighting so much of fudging and other things. Still, you know, nothing is being done. Uh, something we have gender budgeting in, in many states, there also nothing is coming out. What is the silver lining or what do you see going ahead the, the, the way should be? Uh, especially pertaining to policy or taking measures perhaps in this coming budget or perhaps in the thinking of the whole planning processes. Uh, uh, Ma'am really also touched upon one thing uh, that the ease of doing business and uh, then also touching upon ease of living uh, uh, index, many indices based on that. India now really fares so uh, badly, especially all North India in IMR and MMR, two of the very fundamental thing when you talk of uh, gender thing. In fact, uh, our this region is getting behind Africa, uh, Pakistan and Bangladesh as well. Ma'am, yeah. what do you see uh, how to change this? Because really the mindset when we also go to state governments, the data on IMR, MMR, which they are collecting, they are having a very close watch. I think there also some positive things can come up. And the whole thing of reform, not only just limiting to India, but also worldwide, uh, that uh, a lot of push is given, especially now in this economic recession induced by the pandemic uh, on, on reforms. I would also say that in France also, uh, the, uh, the leader Macron, he has come and he has also highlighted and uh, very much re uh, raising the points for uh, labor reforms and others saying that it will spur the economic growth. And uh, ma'am has really highlighted many of the labor laws. Uh, one of them was also bonus. Uh, I am really thankful to Professor Divan for highlighting these issues. When we talk about gender, uh, mostly uh, maternity and it's over. Uh, when we talk about work and women. So ma'am really touched upon those issues and what, how those levers can also be uh, used. And uh, yes, ma'am, uh, touching upon all these issues and your concluding remarks, then I think Professor Kelkar can also uh, add for the concluding remarks. Or ma'am, whatever issue, if you'd like to touch upon, yes. Thank you. No, nothing much more to say because I think the questions which have been asked on best practices and worst practices will um, take till maybe 10.30 at night. So <laughs> no time. We've already run over time. 
but one thing i certainly would say is want to keep people at the center of every policy that is there's no two ways to that and if there's one immediate best practice which we need to learn from i think almost every country in the world is to give some basic income cash transfer every single month and our go downs which are bursting where the cereal the rice and the wheat are rotting to and which are going to be filled now don't forget the season is go, uh, going to come right now they're going to be refilled is to distribute that as much as possible your fundamental i mean we are uh, we are a republic still all right and all i can say is let us claim the public provisioning of the republic and let us claim that we are the center of the republic these are uh, you know thank you thank you thank you ma'am govind ma'am over to you yes concluding yes we are uh, very much out of yes our time limit nothing much to conclude except uh, to say that two points one is that uh, i think the best practice uh, arjun is uh, the people's resistance movement okay if any claims is made against hello them, arjun that would be the best practice utpal they want something no ma'am we should close yes ma'am we can conclude and second is really that if uh, the kind of farmers a uh, question women have to have the kind of land given to them land rights they need to have the land rights some justice needs to be done and people have become aware about the one is that uh, which also i call it a uh, part of the best practice the the falsehood or the kind of falsy nature of the state that it it gives wrong data it's kind of uh, it gives wrong promises to the people a state is exposed so much that i think that and people don't trust farmers don't trust women don't trust dalits don't trust so the whole kind of it is a trust deficit in the state and that is the worst practice worst okay and the best is people's kind of uh, people's movement against it whether it is where women are leading where women are leading and women farmers are leading and the dalits are leading i mean they are kind of thing they we are fighting back and that is a very good kind of analysis that we are talking about this kind of thing and if a state could help i don't expect much from the state that it would reform itself it is only the people's movement that would people's movement and the marginalized groups movement among them women uh, because they are the majority of the marginalized that would really the that is going uh, in the right direction with all our economic uh, crisis health crisis this is the only way that i see some hope for ourselves for india thank you and uh, it was a great kind of discussion and great lecture and uh, uh, i have known uh, ritu for number of years and i have heard her uh, dev has not heard her but i have heard her so often <laughs> so that is and she was at her best thank you thank you thank you ma'am i think we can uh, now quickly wrap up the session and uh, i should just propose a vote of thanks to uh, uh, so much to professor ritu devan for uh, uh, presenting her view so many uh, views and touching upon so many of issues of uh, what the the pandemic has induced and what the policy and the inherent patriarchy has been and how this process is leading to gender de equalization even in this time of pandemic 
and uh, how we should uh, uh, go ahead and mainstream women as the, the for the economic recovery uh, uh, during this pandemic. I, I would also like to thank all of our other participants, our uh, chair, Professor Govind Kelkar, uh, Dr. B. Rajeshwari, uh, Ms. Pankhuri Dutt, uh, uh, also uh, Professor Devnathan, uh, also to coming and you know, sharing his voice. And from uh, uh, all of us, thank you and have a nice evening. Thank you so much. Thank you, you ma'am.